Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. We're continuing uh, in this sermon series called Seasonings, where we're ultimately going through the different seasons of the year uh, and explaining how they have application to the Christian life, but not just once, right? It's not just like a one-time, you don't just go through winter once and you're done with it, but it's a very cyclical thing, and sometimes the seasons are way longer uh, than what they should be, depending upon what our obedience is to what God is calling us to do. God will chisel us according to our circumstances, right? And so this week, uh, we're in summer, and summer is a really interesting concept to me because I work in youth ministry, right? I'm an adult that works in youth ministry. And so from the adult side of summer, it starts out with a lot of excitement for me. I don't know about you guys, but for me, I'm like, the sun's going to be out. I can get in the sun. Workouts change. I can do some stuff outside, really sweat. There's going to be swimming involved. Uh, and so that kind of changes the game there. But to be honest, after about three weeks of being in summer, I'm done. You know, like I'm ready to go either back to spring or forward unto fall, but I'm, Texas summer is just rough, man. It's 100 degrees and it's humid. I was in India where it was 115 with no humidity, and I'm like, this is amazing, you know? But here it's just horrible. And then you think of it from the student ministry side. Like with the students, again, beginning of summer, so excited, right? All I get, I, I just sleep. I can stay up all night long and sleep all morning and today, and I don't have any responsibility or anything to do. And at first, it's super amazing and beautiful for them. But in about three weeks, maybe four, they're like, I feel like I'm just waiting to die. And you're like, dude, you're in eighth grade. You know, like, <laughs> what were you doing so productive in the first place? And so no matter what, there's just this element with summer where there's a lot of excitement in the beginning, but then in, all of a sudden, you're just waiting for fall. You're just waiting for that next phase, that next season in life. And so let me go ahead and throw out, we're, we've been going through the story of Joseph, because Joseph's life is this beautiful uh, picture of, of the seasons in the Christian life. And in going through summer, let me throw out what the big idea is. And then we're going to be starting in Genesis 39 and working through chapter 40 and looking at Joseph's life and where we see the season of summer for him, right? And, and so let me just say this about summer. Our big idea is this. In God's plan, a season of waiting is never wasted, right? So remember, three weeks in summer, we're excited. And then suddenly, where is fall? And so let's just go ahead and recognize now that in God's plan, a season of waiting is never wasted. And so I'm going to jump right into the text. We're going to start in uh, Genesis chapter 39, verses 21 through 23, and then we'll move into 40. Now I'm just going to go kind of block by block through this passage. It starts out, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did 
to succeed. Now, if you remember the story of what we've been going through, Joseph has recently been accused falsely by Potiphar's wife. So Potiphar's wife comes on to Joseph, uh, and Joseph, in his integrity and fear of the Lord, says, no, I will not do this to my master, and I definitely will not do this to my God. And so Joseph turns to run away from her because she's getting pretty aggressive, and so she grabs a hold of his coat or his cloak, and he breaks loose of it and runs. And so then, in all of her envy and anger, she screams and swears that Joseph came onto her. She denied, tried to run away, but then he got, she got his robe so that he was caught, right? And so she's flipped a story. Potiphar comes in, who's the captain of the guard, takes Joseph, throws him in prison. So now Joseph is in prison, and he's falsely accused, right? It's not a great place to be if we're on it. I don't know if you've ever been falsely accused for anything and punished for it. It's not great. Nobody really handles that well. Like, even if you won't speak out inwardly, you are in utter turmoil wanting to explode. And Joseph is sitting in prison, falsely accused, and there's no sentence. Like, this isn't American jail where it's like, well, you're going to be in here for six months. You're just put in there, and maybe they'll remember you one day. Right? So there's no, there's no light at the end of the tunnel for Joseph. But we read that the Lord is present. And I'm going to be honest, no matter what your circumstances, that's the truth. You've got everything you need. The Lord is present with Joseph in prison. And due to that, Joseph has such a faithful character. He has so much integrity that the warden of the prison gives charge to one of his prisoners to take care of everything to such a high degree that the warden says, I'm going to come in every morning, I'm going to sit back, kick my feet up, Joseph's going to run the show, and then when I'm done, I'm going to walk out because I know that he's going to handle everything the way that it needs to be handled. Joseph is entirely trusted. There's no micromanaging that needs to take place. The guard trusts him. The, the, the warden trusts him. He's in charge. And it's funny because we get the same teaching. I want to correlate this a lot to the New Testament, right? Because sometimes we read the Old Testament and we think of it and we go, well, you know, that's irrelevant and old, but we're going to find a lot of correlation. Jesus would tell us in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, speaking to believers, speaking to his followers, his disciples, he said, if you're faithful with the little things, you will be faithful with the large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. And the reason I think that's so important is because what we don't see Joseph doing is we don't see him sitting in prison, passing the time, waiting for the next season. Joseph's character is plugged in, intentional, and proactive, and therefore he is being given more and more responsibility. If you know the story without moving into next week, eventually he's elevated to the right hand of the most powerful man in the known world. Joseph was faithful with little in prison to the point where when he was lifted on high, he was faithful with that as well. So we move on. We'll see uh, what starts to take place inside of Joseph's faithful character starting in verse 40, verses 1 through 4. It says, Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended the royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials and he put them in prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. 
The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph. So, so Pharaoh's officials have offended him at this point. And what you're going to notice is God, right, in his sovereignty. Like, I don't know if you know this, but there's nothing that happens by accident. God, in his sovereignty, has these two officials who have been working right underneath Pharaoh. Has them put under Joseph's charge so that they would encounter Joseph, whom the Lord was with. And so Joseph, in prison, is giving these, given these two officials, God working this together. And this is an important factor, and this is why, listen, this is the exact reason that no season of waiting is ever wasted. Because God is divinely orchestrating all things together according to his plan. That's what we read in Ephesians 1.11, even talking about individual people. Ephesians 1.11 says this, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he, God, makes everything work out according to his plan. Everything, not some things, but everything. In fact, Solomon would cover this, right? Solomon in Proverbs 16.33 would take the most random thing you could possibly imagine, and he'll explain that even that outcome belongs to God. This is what Solomon says, Proverbs 16.33. He says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Solomon's taking the thing where you go, well, this is random outcome, so we'll leave it up to chance to determine what happens. And Solomon's like, no, it's not random chance. It's not just random outcome. God's determining how even those dice fall. There is nothing that is mere consequence or uh, uh, coincidence. There's nothing mere coincidence. Everything orchestrated by the by the by the sovereign hand of God for His divine purposes. And because of that, there is no such thing as wasted time. So we move in. We'll start to see the character of Joseph as he's a leader over these two officials. Starting in verse 5. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked. I want to stop there for a second. And the reason being is because you've got two prisoners in, a, in, a, in prison in Egypt, ancient Egypt, who wake up one morning, Joseph in charge of them, in prison, and they look sad. And Joseph, who's in charge, doesn't go, hey, buck up, sport, I'll get you your breakfast and your water in a minute, right? He's not, Joseph is not only worried with their physical condition, but he sees a sad countenance, and what does he do? He proactively moves in, he invests, and he wants to know what is going on with these two guys? Let's go back for a second. Those who are faithful with little will be faithful with much. And how often, for myself working in ministry, do I look at things and go, well, that's somebody else's job, right? If I'm the, if I'm the teacher and preacher, then somebody else can take care of that. And it's funny how quickly, especially in ministry, when we should be the servant of all, right? Jesus' own teaching, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Uh, I find myself going, hey, everybody serve me because I'm way up here. How quickly we exalt ourselves just because we're up in front of the people and they're all listening. 
But look at the humility and the faithfulness in Joseph that regardless of his poor circumstances in prison, he doesn't look over the mental well-being of those under him. But he's intentionally plugged in. And Paul would tell us from Galatians 6-2 that if we share in each other's burdens, in this way we fulfill and obey the law of Christ. Joseph's integrity is one of love as he bears the burdens of those around him despite his circumstance. In prison, with no light at the end of the tunnel, still faithful, not losing hope, serving others, and bearing their burden. So then you get into verse 8. This was an interesting one for me. It says, They replied, We both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dream. Right? So these two guys are concerned because they've had a dream. And what's funny is they're really not concerned with a dream. They're more concerned with they had a dream and no one is there to interpret it. They didn't say I had a nightmare and I'm scared. They had a dream and they need an interpretation and they don't have one. And in their culture, ancient Egypt, they're depending on diviners, right? They're depending, depending on people who have these psychic abilities to, to read and gauge and omens and all this different stuff where they can interpret the dreams. And these guys are going, we don't have any of those there. And we had these dreams. We don't know what it means, but we're in prison and we can't contact them. And Joseph is like, whoa, whoa. Don't you understand that interpretation belongs to God? That doesn't, it, this isn't dependent on man's intellectual capacity. The Lord does this. And it's funny that when he states that, you know that he also believes it. You know how you know he believes it? Because after saying it, he doesn't go, hey, the Lord could give you interpretation. And then just click his heels out of there. He says, no, the Lord gives interpretation and let, here, just tell me the dream. Right? Joseph believes God gives interpretation and therefore Joseph acts on wanting to give interpretation. Joseph is intentionally proactive in leaning in to the presence of the Lord with whom he is with. And so in our walk as believers, in the season of summer and in the season of waiting, we're still called to be active in what we're claiming to believe about Jesus Christ. He says this in Luke 6.46. He says, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Parents, you ever had to say something along those lines to your kid? It doesn't matter your circumstances. The Lord is present with you. You claim to be believing Him summer or whatever the season may be. You're called to be obeying what He's calling you to do. And that is revealed very clearly in His Word. What we find interesting about this, starting in verse 9, the chief cupbearer responds immediately. Starting in verse 9, it says, So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took the cluster of grapes and I squeezed in the juice into his cup. Then I placed Pharaoh's cup in his hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. 
The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison. But I did nothing to deserve it. So the, the, the cupbearer hears God gives interpretation and he doesn't sit back and ponder the fact. He doesn't hope for anything except interpretation. He hears God gives it. He reacts immediately. That's what faith is. Faith is believing and therefore acting on your belief. And so the, the, the chief cupbearer responds immediately and Joseph is so confident Remember, he's the one that said God gives interpretation. Joseph is so incredibly confident that this interpretation is from God that he says, hey, and when it goes well for you and you're out of prison, tell Pharaoh about me and get me out of this place. Joseph knows from where that interpretation came and it is from the God of heaven who is present with him. And so Joseph confidently gives the interpretation. But you know what I find so interesting about that? Joseph, in very poor circumstances, faithful with what's given to him, also is not passive to the fact that things are not as they should be, right? Joseph isn't sitting by fatally going, well, this is just where I am in life. He is requesting that he have a change in circumstance. Believer, I don't know if you know this, but the world we live in is not what it was intended to be. It is okay that we pray as Jesus called us to pray, may it be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is okay that we pray for a change in our circumstances. However, that does not mean you disengage with your circumstances either. And so Joseph is willing to say, hey, let's make things change. But while I'm here, I'll be faithful regardless. And we see the same thing even in our Lord Jesus Christ in the garden as he prayed before he was taken captive. Matthew 26, 39, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. I'm going to promise you right now, the circumstances Jesus Christ was fixing to face on that cross, not Roman torture, but the wrath of Almighty God in heaven for our sin, no one will ever face circumstances such as that. And Christ said, if it's possible for this to be done any other way, let it. But not my will. Joseph gives the interpretation of the dream, and it's, it's good. You move into verse 16. When the chief baker, so the other guy, the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation. He said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there was three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets represent three days. Three days from now... Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then the birds will come and peck away at your flesh.
It's interesting what happened. Joseph gives, gives an interpretation to the chief cupbearer, the chief cupbearer who responds immediately. God gives interpretation, give me interpretation. The baker sits back and goes, I don't know about all this. Then when it's a prosperous interpretation, right? Then the chief baker is like, hey, I had a dream. I had one too, tell me. You can almost sense his excitement like he's jumping up and down like a small child, right? Because he wants to hear good news for him. He wants to hear a positive outcome. But Joseph's response is far more grim. And we don't know how the chief baker responded, but I assume it wasn't with happy. Then verses 20 through 23, we find the outcome. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all of his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. So all of it's fulfilled, right? Everything that Joseph said was going to happen happened exactly as is. And then the downside comes in uh, when Joseph might think, here's some light at the end of the tunnel, old cupbearer gets out, goes up to Pharaoh, and forgets all about Joseph. And I don't think it was malicious. I think he's just, like, his friend that he was just with in prison, who he'd been working alongside, was just impaled on a pole. I think the cupbearer is just going to be content where he is. I think he's going to let go of everything that has just happened. Nevertheless, Joseph was faithful in a season of waiting. And now we could end the sermon right here, right? I could stop right there and go, see guys, in this season of summer, just be faithful. Just do what God's telling you to do through his revealed word. That's all it is. But there's this first verse that we read in chapter 39 that I can't get past. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph wasn't faithful because Joseph's faithful. Joseph is a corrupt, sinful human being just like every one of us. But the Lord of heaven was with Joseph. Now let me, let me do something really quick because I think we tend to lose sight of this, right? As, as people, let me, just, just a, a quick little example of what I believe sin does to us as people. What it does to our vision. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, I've always kind of considered life to be a giant movie and I'm the star, right? And so like even before I come up here to preach, I'm in the back and I'm super nervous, but I'm only nervous because I feel like I have to come perform. I got to entertain all you guys, right? And so I sit back there and I wrestle with this for so long. Daniel, this is not the Daniel Rowland show. This whole thing revolves around the one who created it for himself. And so let me do something really quick because I feel like even if you don't think that way, like the world's a movie and you're the star, we all are very self-absorbed people. We're very self-centered because we're sinful. That's what sin ultimately does. It has put us on our own throne in opposition to the throne of God. That's what sin does, right? So let's get an idea of who this person is, this God who's present with Joseph. And in order to do so, I want to talk physics for a minute. 
Okay, I know it's, some of you are like, what? It'll all, it'll all come together. The speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. Okay? Not, not 186,000 miles per hour, 186,000 miles per second. Honestly, I do not even understand how you can measure that. I really don't. But I guess they did. I'm not going to call them liars. Speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. That means that for light to travel one, one evolution around the globe, one revo- it, for, so for light to start in Magnolia, to go around the world and back to Magnolia, it would happen this fast. That's how fast light could travel around our globe. To go from the earth to the moon at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, it would take 1.4 seconds to get to the moon. 1.4. From the sun to the earth, which, if you don't know, the sun is 93 million miles away. 93 million miles. Like, that has nothing. That is so many circumferences of earth that I don't even know. 93 million miles away, light can get from the sun to the earth in eight minutes. Now let's step outside, right? The sun is inside of our solar system. Let's get outside of our solar system for a second. For light to travel to the nearest star outside of our solar system, nearest star, for light to travel at 186,000 miles per second, it would take five years. At 186,000 miles per second for light to make it to the nearest star outside of our solar system. Five years. From our solar system to the center of our galaxy. So like, like if, if, if you don't know what that looks like, the galaxy is like what they think is a black hole in the middle and then like all these giant arms of star waves kind of going around it. And our solar system is like this little speck on the outside of the galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, and and for, from the, ultimately the distance from our solar system to the center of the galaxy is 25,000 light years. So now we've moved out of just time and we've gone, okay, how far can light travel in a year? So at 186,000 miles per second, multiplied by however many seconds are in a year, I didn't do that math, but that's how far light can travel in a year. And it would take 25,000 of those for us to go from our solar system to the center of our galaxy. In fact, if you were to if you were to go up in an aerial view where you could see the entire continent of North America, okay, not the United States of America, the entire continent of North America, and then you took a coffee mug and you placed it somewhere in Idaho, trying to see that coffee mug from aerial view in scale to the entire continent of North America would be the equivalent of our solar system in comparison to our galaxy. That's how microscopic we are inside of our galaxy. And what's even more interesting, from where we are on Earth to the farthest we can see with telescopes, okay, so in other words, the farthest we can see in the known universe, not even knowing what's beyond that, we're looking at 13 billion light years. 
13 billion light years. Now we're talking a magnitude that I don't even know is comprehensible, right? And in all honesty, it's not comprehensible because we're just talking about the farthest we can see. There's more that goes beyond that. We have no idea how enormous our universe actually is. Our time-space fabric really goes beyond our comprehension. And here's what's most baffling to me. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 12 says that God stretches that out with the span of his hand. That the heavens, the universe, are stretched out in the span of his hand. We can't even fathom what is materially created, and you think you can even grasp the God who created it by the word of his power. He didn't even have to lift a finger. That is the God who is present with Joseph in prison. We're not talking a little secretary who kind of helps Joseph in his weakness. We're talking about the omnipotent, the almighty king, sovereign, creator, and sustainer of the entire universe and spiritual realm. That everything that is came from him. He is the source of its life and its power. Nothing exists outside of his will. Nothing was created that wasn't created by him and for him. That God is present with Joseph in prison and he is present with us in every season of waiting. And do you know how you can know that? Because that unfathomably large God entered into his own story. He entered into his own creation in the person of Jesus Christ. And he did it because he looked at all of us who are in our own little prison cells of sin, right? Under the tyrannical rule, under the power of sin. And he didn't consider his bigness as too much privilege. He didn't consider himself too important for our need. But he considered our need to be more important than that. And he came in to our story. And he bore our sin, right? Jesus Christ came and entered the ultimate prison cell so that we could be set free. Jesus Christ came in and he laid down his life. He shed his blood to pay the ransom for our sin and to set us free from the prison. And so when Jesus, who's the true and better Joseph, Jesus goes down to the prison of death and hell for our sin, and then three days later is exalted up to the right hand of the Father, which is far more than exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. And with it, he leads us into his victory. And he shares his throne with us, though we are unworthy and undeserving. That's the God who's with Joseph in a season of waiting, when there's no light at the end of the tunnel. That God didn't consider himself too important or any task too small, so how can we? In a season of waiting, when you see the God of all creation present, invested, intentional, and proactive with his people, so much so that in Psalm 139, David would say that, that he knows and is acquainted with our sitting down and our rising up, that right now he already he's here with you. And somehow, miraculously, as omnipresent as he is, he is also present with you while you're getting up. He already knows it altogether. 
There's nothing in your life too small for his involvement. Which means there's no season of waiting that doesn't have some purpose for us to be invested and involved. And we have something better than Joseph. Joseph did have the presence, but Jesus Christ, in laying down his life, gives us the abiding presence of the Spirit of God. That he comes to dwell and make his abode in us. That same God who sits outside with the universe in the span of his hand comes to dwell within us relationally. So let me go ahead and bring this home. Let me go ahead and start to apply it. I would argue that for the most part right now, we're pretty much all kind of in a season of summer, right? Maybe spiritually it's different, but physically, yeah. We just came out of a gigantic quarantine and national shutdown, basically. Uh, now we're in an election, have no idea who the president is, we're honest. I still don't. Uh, for all I know, come January, Kanye could pop out with a third party. And he wins it. And they were all confused, right? Where did Kanye even come from? No idea. But I can promise you right now, in quarantine, out of quarantine, no matter who the president is, no matter what, you have got everything you need, no matter what your circumstance in life. And you have it because you have the presence of God. Peter says this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, By His, God, by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. How, Peter? We have received all of this by coming to know Him. You don't need a change in circumstances. You don't need a change in family. You don't need a change in friend group. You don't need a change in anything. Here's what you need. You need to know that if you were a believer in Jesus Christ, if you were following him, you have got the presence of the creator and sustainer and sovereign king over the entire universe with you. And by that knowledge, by that acquainted knowledge, by that relationship, you have got everything that you need for life and godliness. Lacking nothing. The question then comes in, What's your perspective on the whole thing? What are you believing? Joseph knew what the dreams were that he had. Y'all remember the dreams? Joseph had two dreams, that his brothers would bow down to him and then that his mom and dad would come and bow down to him. And now he's in prison? What? Seems a little backwards because they're not coming down into prison to bow down. Joseph could have easily dismissed everything. But his perspective was a God who orchestrates all things according to his will, who sits in the heavens and does whatever he pleases, who made a promise to Abraham that he would have so many descendants they would outnumber the sands of the seashore and that through that nation, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Joseph knew there was a far bigger plan, so Joseph stayed invested no matter what his circumstances are. If you're in a season of waiting right now, you can still be proactively invested in all the circumstances around you. I think the problem tends to come in is we think some are just too small for our attention. But again, if the God of heaven didn't consider you too small when you were hostile toward him, how dare us ever do the same?
you have a participation to play in this thing. And I'll be honest, man, I'm not, I mean, I love eschatology, end time stuff, but I'm not the guy that's like, we're in the end. I don't know when the end is. I'm just going to say that now. It'd be cool if it was now, but whatever. Um, but here's what I can promise. Maybe it's another seven years and this whole thing's over. Maybe it's another 700 years and this whole thing's over. But here's, what I, here's what I know for a fact. This will be in the history book. And so my question for you adults, 15, 20 years from now when your grandkids are talking to you and they go, hey, Grandma, Grandpa, what did you do during the quarantine and lockdown, the coronavirus, and the most massively chaotic election in all of history? Are you going to have any pride in saying what your investment was? Did you believe that the sovereign God of the universe is orchestrating all things together according to his will? Are you believing that and acting on that? This was a challenge I gave to our youth ministry as soon as the quarantine happened from video. You're going to have kids one day and they're going to go, hey, what did you do during that whole thing? Like everything was shut down and it would be such a pity to go, I played Xbox. You know, you got a community suffering, people losing their jobs, people terrified and scared. And we claim to have the light of the world, the hope to the hopeless, and we claim to believe in a God who goes after the outcast. Kept doing my own thing. Please listen. Where we are in our current circumstances, do not sit waiting, going, well, as soon as things blank, then I'll finally. God's not waiting for that moment. God is present now. God is present as you walk out of this room today. To where you go to lunch, he is present. Do you believe that? And if so, are you his ambassador? Moving forth his message and his kindness and his gentleness and his love to a world that does not know it. So let me say this one more time. In God's plan, a season of waiting is never wasted because he's orchestrating all things according to his will. Will you do it with it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I'm always thankful for an opportunity to teach. And I'm so thankful that even though we throw the dice, you determine how they fall. And so there's nobody in this room accidentally. There's nobody listening to this accidentally. But it's by your hand they would hear your message to be encouraged or maybe to meet you for the first time ever. So I pray, Lord, that they don't meet a God of concepts, but the personal God of heaven who created all things for his purposes and invites us to come to him. And he shows his love for us so great that he gave his only son to reconcile us back to himself. So be glorified. May we celebrate you forever.